Meanwhile, back at the Hall of Justice, our mild-mannered podcasters were bombarded by gamma rays, bitten by radioactive bugs, mutated by toxic waste, irradiated with cosmic rays, born into a world that doesn't understand them. Hello, everybody. It's Wednesday, May 23rd, and you are listening to the Talking Comics Podcast. I am your host, Bobby Shortle, and I am in the house with Steve Say. What's up? Bob Ryer. Hola. And Stephanie Cook. I'm back, I'm back, I'm back. <laughs> That's right. You've been gone the last two episodes. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I guess the big question is, before we even get into anything, Stephanie, is what did you think of the Avengers? Because our, fa- our listeners want to know what you thought of the Avengers. Holy shit, it was so good. <laughs> oh my god. Like, uh, they perfectly captured everything that a comic book movie should be. Mm-hmm. Um, I particularly loved, like, Tony Snark's little, like, huh, did I say Tony Stark or Tony Snark? Because Stark. he should have been Tony yeah. Snark. Oh boy. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> did you it. write that down? Yeah. I snark didn't. Industries. I swear to God, that just came to my head, but I was going to use the word snarky, and then I was like, did I actually say Tony Snark? Sure. Fixes her tie. Yeah. And- <laughs> <laughs> Be good to your waitresses. The veal's really good this week. I mean, I just loved oh, like the little like one-liners where he's like, you throw a mean punch point break to like Thor and... Mm-hmm. Oh, so many good things. and My favorite's clench up Legolas. That's my favorite. Yeah, I died. I died. I oh, missed that. Okay. There was too much laughing. I yeah. missed that one. And uh, what was else? Obviously the Hulk bits. Mm-hmm. Um, and Captain America, you know, giving everyone directions and, you know, pointing to the Hulk and be like, Hulk? Smash. <laughs> like, yeah. it's just epic. It was, uh, it was everything that a comic book movie should be. Uh, it, it dared to do all those things that all the ones before wouldn't. It, mm-hmm. it wore its comic book roots proudly. Yeah, absolutely. I'm hearing uh, rumors that Ch- Enchantress is going to be in Thor 2. I've heard that as well. Oh, yeah. So that would be um, interesting. Yeah. I hope that that actually, I, I mean, and I hope Joss Whedon um, sticks with it as well, because mm-hmm. I think it's the first movie, the first comic book movie that I've really felt that, um, I, like, it doesn't so much like the comic book movies in the past say like X-Men and stuff like that. The comic book characters from X-Men were forever altered after that to be like the characters Mm -hmm. that they were in the movies. Mm -hmm. And I felt like instead of, you know, making the characters accommodating to the audience so that they would like them more or whatever, they were really stuck to the comic book characters themselves and, you know, would consequently not change like yeah do you know what i'm trying yeah, to say no, yeah, exactly. absolutely yeah, no. yeah. it yeah, seems like, like just... the characters of the books finally mm-hmm. that they embrace yes. that and said okay here's what captain america does here's what mm-hmm. thor does or yeah. tony stark and to see the black widow be the, the comic book black widow finally mm-hmm. that scene in front of loki's cell is just amazing yeah oh she was just i mean okay i'm not a big scarlett johansson fan um 
I don't even really particularly think she's the best actress that could have been cast as Black Widow, but I do think that she did a fantastic yeah, a fantastic job with it. And um, like she just pulled off the femme fatale and she had the wit and the, you know, sexiness and just and she suit. embodied it. Yeah. The suit was yeah. nice. Yes. <laughs> uh, but when she the goes view. to play with the big boys, <laughs> where she jumps off cap shield and goes flying mm. with the sky cycles, that's that was unexpected. Yeah. And totally in character at the same time. Yeah, she brought it. And <laughs> in other Avengers news, it's been announced for DVD and Blu-ray already. Yes, September yes, 25th. With terrible, terrible artwork. Oh, the oh, artwork I think is artwork's bad. pretty good. It's whatever. Actually for the, posted up for that the 3D the Blu-ray, it is. For the regular DVD and Blu-ray, yeah. it's atrocious. Yeah. It's awfully early. It might not be the final. I fucking hope not. But there's like well, 14 minutes or something of extra scenes. Nice. <gasps> More shawarma. Actually, it's half an hour, I believe. Oh, really? It's that much? Wow. Ooh. Um, I got like, yeah, I posted it up. For all of you that don't know, I write for joblow.com. Um, and I posted it up the other day because I got sort of an inside information on it. Mm. And Disney was none too pleased with me. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> Cease and desist. Cease and desist. Oh, wow. But by that time, it was like, it went pretty viral. Mm. I think it had like 2,000 shares. And Oops. Um, yeah, Oopsie. Disney decided to announce it officially today. <laughs> Whoops-a-daisy. You forced the issue. I yeah. love that. Apparently. Woodward so, and Bernstein uh, of JoeBlow.com <laughs> and Talking Comics. September 25th, everyone. Yeah. Lawyers be damned. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> um, Steve, Should we do some other movie news? There's word about a Ms. Marvel movie? Oh, is there? Is there really? There's going to be a Black Widow Origins movie. Yes. Oh, wow. No, Casada at some convention. Maybe it's the Kapow convention. Oh, okay. Yeah, they've they've got they've got a script ready to go. Well, apparently they have scripts for like eight movies that they have not produced ready to go. Um, Yeah, that'd be cool. I mean, that'd be uh, that'd be interesting if they did that. I mean, I don't know. You think they'd go solo with that on her own movie right away, or they they'd roll her into another movie to start out with? You've got Thanos coming. Yeah, but I mean, I mean, they've been talking about too. She's Iron Man not, 2, yeah. or they've been talking about Guardians of the Galaxy for a long time. If they did that, they could roll her into that. Sure. You know, because that's cosmic. Um, Steve, how's your uh, Earth's Mightiest Heroes watching going? Uh, I actually just finished, I guess it's, uh, I don't know if it's one whole season. How many episodes were in the season? Like 26. If, you, you, with all those four DVDs? It, I just finished volume two. Okay. Which was um, Gamma World. Oh, okay. That's a great. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, no, I'm really, I mean, I know we did the show about it, and yeah. I was kind of judgmental about it. Um, and like I said, I mean, everything that I said, I'd have to listen to the podcast again, mm-hmm. um, still stands as far as being a new viewer to the show yeah. and not having a clue what the hell is going on. Mm-hmm. However, if you do happen to make it to Best Buy for eleven ninety nine a piece, Ooh. you can uh, get the volumes, and if you go through it, it really does. I mean, from the very first episode, it plays out like a comic book, especially a team comic, mm-hmm. where there are just several things going on and happening at one time. Not everybody's in the same spot fighting the same battle. Yeah. Iron Man's, you know, protecting the Stark building. Mm-hmm. Thor's off in Midgard doing something, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Right. Or uh, was uh, was Asgard. Asgard. And Midgard. We're, Mid- we're Midgard. We're Midgard. Yeah, yeah. Hey, he could be in either one. He, he spends a lot of time in Midgard yeah. He's fawning Thor. over. Uh, what's her name again? Jane Foster. Jane Foster. Jane Foster. Jane Foster. Um, <laughs> on the show, is, he, is she still the nurse? Or is she's, she a yeah, she's, a, she's, she's a doctor. She's a paramedic. Doctor, no. She's a paramedic. Yeah, she's, she's a, a paramedic. Ambulance. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah. Can't be a nurse anymore. Nurses uh, devalue. <laughs> no. But um, yeah, no, it's uh, it's great. And it's got, um, 
it's really interesting the way that they introduce a lot of the characters because they they'll take like let's say the Hulk mm-hmm. he'll be missing for three episodes mm-hmm. because they want to introduce Hawkeye and right. Black yeah. Widow, but then the time comes where they're facing something where they need him, and then you have an episode where half the episode you're getting him back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, yeah, no, it's it's been a lot of fun. Uh, I watch it every morning when I eat my breakfast. Cool. And uh, I promised Bob that uh, I would get to the Fantastic Four uh, <laughs> 90s stuff mm-hmm. after that. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, it's, you know, in between Diablo time, right? which yeah, is limited. Of course, oh, yes. Diablo time. Um, she, she, they announced that, well, they didn't announce it, but they showed their first footage from the Marvel MMO, and it's a Diablo-style game. It's a dungeon crawler You know, game. I saw the article for that, and the video would not load for me. Oh, really? So now I'm going to have to... Yeah, no, it's, help, that's great. Help me here, because I'm culturally... Scientifically alert. The MMO is is it like massive, a health insurance thing? Yeah, or yes, massive right. multiplayer online is oh. what it, it means that you're and games like, like you're oh. playing you're playing with the community. If you're playing mm-hmm. with the world, mm-hmm. you're linked into the world. Anybody can jump into your game so long as you you know you accept their mm-hmm. invite. Okay, so there are yeah. a lot of Marvel characters certainly. Yeah, 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 and they're doing yeah. something interesting with that game. They're going to let you like. You don't have to pick a character to play. You kind of like collect characters as you go along, and you can switch between characters. That's so you're not cool. creating your own character. Like you're who's, not. Cre- who's, here's the most important question, though: Who's making it? Um, I don't remember the name of the developer, but they're former Blizzard North guys, and they're the guy. Those guys who created Diablo. Are they the guys that did Torchlight? No, no, that's that those would guys. be sick. Yeah, no, but they're no, they're a, 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 another group of people from the former Blizzard guys making the game. Mm. Stephanie, so, do you, you want to say something? Yeah, I was just gonna say jumping back to the whole uh, superhero TV shows. Uh, mm-hmm. I assume maybe you guys all checked out the. New trailer for Arrow. I did check it out. I did. Bah. <laughs> All right. So ignoring Steve, what Terrible. do you guys think of it? Terrible. <laughs> I'm not Bob, but not falling all over myself yet. Uh, did you see the footage as well or just the trailer? Just the trailer. Um, okay. I, I think that I, I just saw the trailer as well. It's tough to judge quality from it. And it's really easy, I think, to dismiss it as it just looks like another like CW show. Yep. That's what I thought of. But until you actually... See what the stories are. Nope. See what's going on. Um, I, I don't think you can really judge yet from that trailer because that trailer, that trailer is selling it to people who already watch CW shows. It's not for comic book fans, you know. Well, no, it, it is. Like but to me, that, to me, that it uh. definitely reeked of that. But it is Green Arrow's real origin from right. the fifties. He's on the island and all I... that stuff. That so that was pretty cool for me. Right? Yeah. Yeah. But then the trailer's t- online, by the way, for all you listeners. It's yeah, on yeah. the website. Can I just say something? Oh, yeah, sure. I, yeah. Steve, go. I watched the trailer. Mm-hmm. The first like 10 or 15 seconds, when he had the beard, yeah. he's all grizzled, mm-hmm. the hood, and mm-hmm. you know, it's all dark and it's raining and stuff. I was like, yeah. yeah. I'm like, cool. This Cast is great. away with superheroes. Yeah, this yeah. is great. I'm like, this is awesome. This is what they're doing with it? No. They're going to cut his hair. They're going to give him a shave. They're going to give him a shiny lair, and they're going to stick him in a city somewhere, and he's going to be dating the crew from 90210. But, but that's what Green Arrow is. Green Arrow lives in a city. Well, then I'm not. And he's rich. And he's I'm a billionaire. And he's a billionaire. No, I, I remember yeah. Oliver. What's his Oliver face? Queen. Oliver Queen. Oliver yeah, Queen. Yeah. See, what I hope, would hope for, I mean, Dinah Lance is in this. Yeah. We're hoping for Black Canary. In the early 70s, he became socially relevant, mm-hmm. and it was about... Uh, poverty and racism and all the important things that that superheroes can address as mm-hmm. well as beating people up. Mm-hmm. I watch hoping we go there. Yeah. That it, it's now a crusading superhero about mm-hmm. social ills and he happens to use his money for those reasons. So I'll give it a an episode or two. I like the costume. 
I like the I like costume's it. good. I like but the, the costume looks cool. I need more. It's the it's the seventies costume. He's given up the little mm. archer hat with the little feathers sticking out of it. Yeah. Robin Hood. We've gone it's like you should have a little Hood. pipe and be like, yeah, exactly, <laughs> and dra- dragging the rats into the harbor. Yeah, yeah. We, we could deal without that. Yeah. Um, I'm I think it looks pretty great. I cool. mean, not like great from the trailer, but I think it has potential. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. I think that's the perfect word. Yeah, it has potential. Yes. I I hope it's good. I hope it's good. I don't think it's yes. going to be good. I hope it's good. We're though. not hating on it. This isn't a Schadenfreude moment. No. We're hoping for good stuff out of Arrow. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, so going from stuff that's based on comic books to actual comic books. No. Um, <laughs> they should do a show with like that. You know. Yeah, good. we would. Where they talk about comics. comics yeah. They, should, they could call it talking comics. Um, so I'm going to start off. Um, I my book of the week is Fantastic Four six hundred five point one. <gasps> And we've nine. been talking nine. We've been talking a lot about Fantastic Four, and I don't really want to get in too many details because you haven't read it. Part of kind of the joy of it is the surprise. Of I'll try to shut up. What happens in the book? That's my book too. The surprise at the end. Oh yeah, your book. Like, yeah. Ooh, did you read it? Yeah, I did read it. So well, interesting. When we when we get to your book. Um, but six hundred five point one. I'll just say this: it's a different origin of the Fantastic Four. Kind of a different Fantastic Four. It's a it's another universe. Yeah. Um. And I won't tell you what the universe is because I think all of that is really cool and surprising and fun to to read and and has a lot of layers to it. The th- reason that it really stuck with me was it, it felt to me like this is one of the top books at Marvel, one of the one of the biggest, mm-hmm. most famous, most storied books at Marvel. And Hickman's writing a story here that is really off the wall, you know. It goes in some really dark places, some really weird places, reestablishes characters in ways that you wouldn't expect, even if it is an alternate universe. To see Reed Richards yeah. doing some of the things that he does in this book is really kind of jarring, you know? Um, and I, I like the kind of, it's almost a what if scenario. It's almost a what if Reed did these, did these things, yeah. Bad things, you know, because he does bad stuff in this book. And then ties it back together with the storyline that he's been writing for three years in the real book, which right, is which, pretty amazing. Which is what I want to talk about, which as a point one issue I was reading and I was kind of like, well, how has this really helped me get into whatever the next arc's going to be? Because this is just like a random side story. But at the end, he ties it back into a thing that has been a source of Huge confusion for me reading the Fantastic Four books from six hundred, which we can't talk about until you read it. Right? I mean, yeah. we'll be the the kind of we talked about another universe. So there's like mm-hmm. the multiple reads, the, the Council, Council of, of Reads, right? Which started from six hundred isn't really explained, and especially if you're reading Future Foundation, is like a mind fuck, you know? Because I have no idea what's going on. There's like a grandfather and another read and like another whatever. Um, <laughs> the end of this book kind of gives you a little bit of view into what that thing is all about and it really kind of helped me a little bit you know to kind of understand what they are a little bit more you know um i loved it i I went crazy for it. i love the art as well it's very kind of fine lined but there's something about that really just evokes the the period and the Mm -hmm. the world in which it's inhabiting and he's not gonna be the the he might be the artist on future foundation um, but he's not the Fantastic Four artist going no. forward. Uh, but loved it. 605.1. If you haven't been reading Fantastic Four, you haven't been paying attention to us because we've been telling you to read it for weeks and months now. Uh, <laughs> but you should pick this issue up. And like I said in my review, you might feel some confusion when you're reading it. Roll. But, but just, just kind of roll, roll with the confusion because you're going to get a lot of great story going on. Um, 
but yeah, I don't. I, I know that you you read it. Obviously, you, you, yeah, what, what? I, you'll. It sounds like hype. You'll gasp. Mm-hmm. There are moments where no, they didn't do that. Did they? Right. Yes, they did. He's mm-hmm. willing. He's so comfortable with these characters. Mm-hmm. He's willing to go really out on a limb and tell this story that until the last two or three pages, there isn't a connection. You right. think? Yeah, absolutely. And going on a limb is a great way to put it. I'm. And this book kind of solidifies Hickman to me in a lot of ways, making him maybe the writer I most am going to look forward to reading books by in the Marvel Universe at this point. So, very exciting. Steve, you got a chance to read it, right? I did. What did you think of it? Um, It really, like you said, it was jarring. It really threw me. Mm -hmm. Um, When I think of a point one, I don't think of the content of that particular issue. Um, Especially since a friend of mine, I've been telling him about Fantastic Four, He's like, oh, he's like, when can I start reading it? And I said, it's a point one. <laughs> yeah. Here you go. Good luck. And he's like, oh, cool. And I read it myself, and I, in my head, I was like, he's taught. This is this was he's not. Tossed. This was this was so confusing. Uh-huh. This is not the kind of book you want to hand a brand new reader. Right. Yeah. And I called him, and I'm like, did you read? How was it? And he's like, oh, dude, it was fucking awesome. And I'm like, oh, nice. Really? And he's like, yeah. And I'm like. Well, shit. All right. <laughs> awesome. um, but yeah, no, I um, I really enjoyed it mm-hmm. specifically because it was so from left field. Mm-hmm. Um, not to mention that, without spoilers, that something happened in the book that I've wanted to see happen to someone. Yeah, yeah. yeah gotcha. v- probably f- since I've known about him, mm-hmm. and I was, it was very satisfying. Mm-hmm. And uh, and yeah, the final page really does kind of give you that like that aha mm-hmm. moment yeah where even if you don't know that much about fantastic four you do know that they dabble mm-hmm. in that kind of stuff and i was like why aren't i getting this why is this so weird mm. what the hell like i read 600 to 605 yeah. like what the fuck and then all of a sudden mm-hmm. that last page and i'm like aha mm-hmm. yeah. so but my question is that if that was the kickoff for something, are they going to keep that tone, mm. and are they going to continue to run with the read that we were dealing with in this thing? Or you know no. what I'm? I can't say it, but right. you, know, you know what I'm talking no, about. No, we're not, mm. because the next issue we're going backwards into FF history. So was we're going to go back to the Black Panther. We're going to tell stories. Oh, interesting. He's well, going to do stories in the next year or so. Right. Last eight months eight or whatever. Months. He wants to do. One and two issue little arcs that he can touch base with all the characters he may not have gotten a shot at. Mm, okay. So, so he may revisit that in a graphic novel somewhere down the road, that parallel world. Yeah. Or those mm. other people. It just seems like an odd choice to, to make, seeing as it's a point one. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's Isn't supposed it to be. Isn't it though? Yeah. Brilliantly. Yeah, it's supposed yeah. to be a jumping on point. It's supposed to be for a mass audience, mm. I guess. Mm. And. To have jumped into that, I mean, I've already had a little bit of an experience mm-hmm. with Fantastic Four, so I accepted it. Right. But new readers, it's really, 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 really cool. Yeah. But, like, no idea. Right. No, absolutely. Like, no. That's yeah. true. As a point one, it's not necessarily a success in that way, but it's such a great, a, a, such a well-written book and really a surprising book in mainstream superhero yeah. writing, which that's why I love so much about it. With the origin of the Fantastic Four reprinted uh, how many dozen times, with it retold five or six other times, whether mm. it was Burner, mm. Simons, or somebody else doing it, it's around. Mm-hmm. They even They made right. two movies. It's there. Yeah. It, 
it isn't Superman. It's not Batman's origin, Spider-Man's, where everyone kind of knows it. But I think most comic book people have a yeah. general idea mm-hmm. of cosmic rays and spaceships. Mm-hmm. To go where they went here was ballsy. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so Fantastic Four, 605.1. should pick it up. Um, Hark, Stephanie. <laughs> Hi. Avast. <laughs> Ahoy. That was uh, Bobby's segue into what my book is, which is Hark, a vagrant. And I think he did that just so you know, when I shouted things, you wouldn't Yarr. think that I was just, you know. Now with words. Yeah. Your father was a tree. <laughs> your mother was a hamster and your father smelt of elderberries. <laughs> uh, but yes, so my book of the week is Hark a Vagrant by Kate Beaton. Um, so this lovely lady is a Canadian uh, from Halifax, Nova Scotia, who is living in New York. Um, basically, <laughs> I know, best of both worlds, right? Yes. Just like Miley Cyrus. I had to to write about her this weekend. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, she's in Bolt, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. She's in Bolt. Anyway, continue, Stephanie. Her and her giant teeth. Okay, enough. Enough, you. (laughs) We're talking about Hark. Hark. Is there a comma between Hark and. No, there's an exclamation point. Oh, Oh. even better. Hark of (laughs) Egrant. Anyways, I'll stop shouting things. No, just keep saying the title. Yeah, what does keep, keep making Bobby about? have to fiddle with the dial? Yeah, I'm like, I have to keep turning up and down, up and down, up and down. <laughs> um, uh, what is the book about, Stephanie? Well, it's not really specifically about anything. It's kind of just her take awesome. on um, history, uh, books, and pop culture. And she just kind of makes it her own kind of little commentary on things. Like, there is a whole bunch of Napoleon comics in here. Um she does like stuff with Pride and Prejudice. Um, there's Sherlock Holmes, um, where Sherlock Holmes replaces Watson with a sexier Watson. Hey, hey. <laughs> like, Lucy, like this, like this show. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like it's uh, there's like one called the Case of the Two Watsons, and mm. like she just does these like amazing little clips, and she even has some Canadian humor in there where she does Canadian stereotypes, and so it's fantastic. There's a moose. But, yeah, there's really nice people. They go a. <laughs> I think there's one where she's talking about how like instead of cars for our 16th birthdays we get like canoes Mm. there's this guy like canoeing up to like this girl at dock and it's kind of like hey girl I got a canoe (laughs) (laughs) but it's so great Um, again it's a web comic or did I say that I don't think you said that in the first place so I guess not again but (laughs) it's a web comic and this is basically uh, her first book that sort of compiled all of the stories in one spot and um, it even incorporates, you know, our good old superheroes. And, you know, there, there's a Wonder Woman uh, comic called, like, Wonder Woman Returns where, you know, somebody's like, Wonder Woman, we're having a crisis. And she's like, that's shitty. And <laughs> they're kind of like, it is shitty. We need you. And she's like, how many Nazis are there? And they're like, well, it's, there's not, the Nazis haven't been a threat for, like, you know, ages. And she's like, well, damn, I'd love to help you, but I'm excited to go back to my roots. <laughs> And, you know, and she's like, yeah, straight up Nazi fighting. And, and, but Nazis aren't. And she's like, yep, let me know if any show up. And basically, you know. Story time with Stephanie again. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome, everyone. Read it. It's so funny. And she just like at the bottom of all of the pages. Well, not of all of them, but she writes little commentaries on why she wrote them in the first place. And she's like, well, aren't, weren't superheroes created to fight Nazis? <laughs> they yes. do that in an uh, adventure time. 
Oh yeah, the bottom of every page and really super light ink. <laughs> so you have to like hold the page right up to your face <laughs> to read it. It's awesome. Um, but basically, like it's all black and white. Uh, she colors it. Well, not colors it. Sorry, she draws it and uh, does everything herself. And it's not like really fancy art, but I mean, it's it's pretty hilarious. There's an Aquaman one mm-hmm. where Aquaman doesn't want to let the kids on the beach take seashells or play with the sand. <laughs> it's all his sand. He's basically like a beach hoarder. <laughs> It's seriously, it's hilarious. I've been sitting in my bed like ever since I picked up the book and I'm just like laughing to myself. I wrote, I read it on the subway when I first picked it up too. And I sit in there laughing and people are like looking at me and I'm like, yeah, it's funny. What you looking at? <laughs> Deal with it. <laughs> God. So at least it, I'm not laughing to myself. No book. Well, you know, kind of you are. Kind so of, yeah. it's uh, <laughs> Hark a Vagrant. Um, do you know where we can get it, Stephanie? Um, Amazon. Uh, okay. Oh, you're... In Canada, Chapters Indigos and Coals or Book City or BMVs will all have these and even comic book shops. <laughs> In the States, Borders is out of business, so I guess uh, <laughs> Barnes and Noble. So and it's not just a webcomic. It's a book as no. well. <clears throat> oh. There are ongoing, like she still puts them out, I believe, like around once a week. She puts out a new comic. But this is um, the first nice. one that's collected okay. for more popular ones. Okay. Cool. Um, a trade I do believe paperback. This one, hmm. it's pretty cheap. Like as far, it's actually this one's a hardcover, but for this fancy hardcover, it's only like I believe twenty bucks for the whole thing. But um, she's mighty hilarious, and uh, yeah, I believe it's just harkavagrant dot com minus okay. the exclamation point. Right, if yes. you want to see, you know, <laughs> if you actually want to get <laughs> somewhere in the web yeah. yourself. If you want to get places on the web, don't put exclamation points. <laughs> that's well, my problem yeah no you random put it punctuation. if you're googling it but yes that's true not in the actual address bar all right so harkvagrant.com hark 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 let stephanie go let's let me do it stephanie what's the name of the book hark a vagrant okay so <laughs> oh hark a vagrant God. is stephanie's book of the week um steve let's, t- let's talk a little about dancer <laughs> hold me closer time to dance <laughs> I think Stephanie wants to talk about this. <laughs> she wants to sing Tiny Dancer. Yes. Uh, yes. And then watch Almost Famous. Yes, absolutely. So, a new book from Image, mm-hmm. a number one, which usually accompanies something that's new. Yes, true. Uh, Sometimes. We, we have a uh, story by Nathan Edmondson mm-hmm. and art by Nick Klein, uh, Dancer, number one, which is the story of Alan and Quinn. Mm-hmm. Now... I believe they're in Italy. Yes. Yes. yes, Okay. They're in Italy. Quinn is a ballerina Mm -hmm. who is um, trying out. She has a a very strict madam telling her, you know, point and pirouette Mm -hmm. and step and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, this book was rather, the reason it's my favorite book of the week was not only did it remind me of Thief of Thieves, Mm -hmm. um, especially uh, the artwork um, I mean, if you look at the the dark lines and inking on this, Nick Klein definitely um, seems like he's taking a page. It reminded me of something like, like a Nick Spencer mm-hmm. kind of book. Um, so anyway, the, the vibe of the book was really weird because it has this really cool opening scene of this horrendous massacre on a boat. And there's, um, there's like a spy or assassin, a sharpshooter, mm-hmm. uh, takes all these people out. And then we move over to this nice little, like, you know, 
ballet practice. And there's this older gentleman who is watching, uh, I assume is the boyfriend or companion. And it kind of reminded me of like the older, like, like the, the female has like a fetish for like the older man mm-hmm. authority figure kind of thing. And he almost looks like a professor at a college. And I'm kind of trying to figure out what their deal is. And then they start flirting with each other. And I'm like, oh, all right. I'm like, so they, you know, they have, you know, it's a relationship, an older man, younger woman. They're in Italy. Obviously, they met. They like each other. They're spending time. But the issue quickly, it, it, it's, it had, like like I said, it had a vibe to it. It was weird. Like, I'm like, something's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Something's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, we find out that Alan is actually, he used to be part of a uh, special section of assassins. And something went wrong in the past, and he's now being uh, hunted. He got along, burned. Yeah. Yeah. Along with Quinn, hmm. they're being hunted, and he's trying to be rubbed out. Um, however, I won't say it. Spoiler. Uh, there's a major hook at the end mm-hmm. of um, the issue, which to me puts it apart from the other things that I've read that have kind of had this vibe. I mean, we have like a few books like this that are floating around right now, especially, mm-hmm. like I mentioned it, Thief of Thieves. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just, uh, I'm intrigued. Mm-hmm. I'm intrigued. I read it like two or three times. Um, I liked the dialogue. I liked the characters and I liked the idea of, uh, it almost reminded me of like Leon, the professional mm-hmm. a little bit. Yeah, I could see that. Um, and I like the idea that there's this, there's this innocent that is probably just in it for, you know, this romanticized relationship with this guy. They're in Italy together. They want to travel. Mm-hmm. She wants to see the world. She doesn't, you know. And all of a sudden, she finds out that the guy that she's fallen for isn't who he says that he is. Yeah. And not only that, there are people trying to kill him, and there are people trying to kill her right. in in the crossfire. Yeah. Um. So I want to know what happens. Yeah. Um. You know, I read a lot of stuff. Uh, every week I've been chewing through my two read piles. Like mm-hmm. there's no tomorrow. Um, but lately there's been very, very little. I got to say that's been sticking with me. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of on autopilot with the whole Avengers thing. There were a couple of books from the uh, night of the owls that Catwoman was actually good. Oh my <laughs> God. Uh, I don't know if it's going to stick, but it was good. Uh, so yeah, dancer number one, uh, you want to check it out. You like spy thrillers, you like a little bit of blood, uh, a little bit of action and intrigue and stuff like that. Um, dark. It is definitely something, uh, worth checking out. A lot of people are talking about it. And Um, Nathan Edmondson's, uh, the writer of the activity. Yes, he is the writer of the activity. And I read the book as well. And I also have read a couple issues of the activity and, the same problem I have with the activity is kind of the problem I have with this book. Um, I agree with you. The twist at the end of the book is extremely intriguing and makes me want to check out issue two because it it portends to something that might be really cool. Mm-hmm. However, I find that the characters, much like in the activity, they're kind of, there's nothing that makes them unique to me. They just seem like stereotypes of these kind of characters put into a thing. And I'm sure if you read it for an arc, two arcs, these characters become interesting or they might develop. But for me, reading a number one, the, the older gentleman and the younger girl, they seem like every older gentleman, young girl I ever see in any of those movies where it's like, uh, I'm, oh, I'm with this guy, but he's not what he seems. You know, that that's what it is. It's very much that type of story. It's that, um, you know, North by Northwest mm-hmm. 
type of, you know, maybe the born ident- a little born identity thrown in there type of feeling to it. And my problem is they're not interesting enough to me. I'm not interested in the characters. I'm interested in the, the coolness of the premise, the promise of the premise. Right. So that's, and for me, when I'm interested in the characters, it's tough for me to keep reading. You know? I, th- I think, though, that, I mean, not to say that it was done on purpose, but, I mean, for me, I'm willing to, to give people a little bit of time mm-hmm. to develop. I mean, I, I don't ever expect a character to be, I mean, interesting, yes, but developed in a first issue, no. But also, it, it reinforces the fact that, I mean, at least from Quinn's perspective, that she is just a normal girl, probably graduated from some, you know, dance school, got, uh, you know, went off to, to Italy to do this this play. Mm-hmm. She met this guy who probably came into the theater, saw her dancing, they started talking, and now she's got this this thing going on with him, and they're now they're moving into the point where they're talking about maybe going away together, mm-hmm. and now all of a sudden there's a rush on it because there's bullets whizzing past their heads. Right. And I sometimes... People need to appear kind of ho hum, so that the the chance for them to become more than that mm-hmm. is that much more powerful. Right. No, and I agree with but, you on that. I don't really need development. Yeah. I guess it's not what I'm. I guess development is the wrong word. I just don't find them interesting as people. You know, she doesn't not yet. She doesn't do anything that makes me go, "Oh, she seems interesting." Or except for the fact that he is a, used to be an assassin. Again, it's it sort of he's using archetypes like okay, this guy's an assassin. He, used, he, lived, he lived an interesting life, so you should just think, okay, he's going to be interesting. And she's the innocent who is going to be in over her head, but she'll probably be able to hold her own in ways that we don't expect. I, I, I know that before I even read the book. You know, like that's, that's the story. But she, there's nothing quirky or, or off about either of them in this first issue. And for me, if I'm going to pay another $3, $4 for an issue two... I need to at least think like I want to spend another twenty five pages with these people. You well, know what if I mean? They're better in issue two. You may not be there for issue two. Exactly. That's what I mean. Yeah. Like with Morning Glories, right? Mm-hmm. Issue one, there's very little given to you about the overall story, but all of those characters that you know have identifying uh, you know qualities. They have quirks about them. You can tell kind of who they are in kind of a base level without a lot of development. And they still surprise you because when I'm reading Morning Glories now, every issue they're doing things that surprise me. And I just don't get that from this or the activity, which is something that he also writes. So that's my only thing about it. Um, but I do agree with you. The end of the book is very intriguing and, and it makes me want to find out where the story is going to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Bob, what about you? Uh, well, briefly, uh, Steve got me started on Supergirl, which Yay, I haven't read in so many, many good. years. And issue nine here is a, for the most part, I mean, there's a good battle sequence, but it's a character issue and the origin of, oh, spoiler alerts, a, 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 in case no one's Do read it. number, in, no, it. in case no one, no one's read number eight where Did things go very badly. No, I totally just heard something else <laughs> come out of his mouth. <laughs> really? <laughs> something about wearing a rubber. <laughs> wow. Steve's, Steve's brain is breaking. <laughs> yes, I think so. It's already broken. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say. Um, We're both at that But issue eight, Supergirl's having a, a quiet night out yeah. with, with, with a new friend that she doesn't have who manages to speak Kryptonian, no less. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And things go horribly wrong at the end of that issue, and they go even worse here. Oh, yeah. 
But we do get the origin of, of two villains, not just one. Uh, Supergirl with a huge struggle with her own powers, which is really interesting. And she makes a heroic choice. Yes, she does. It's all the stuff you want from an iconic character. It's one, in my opinion, it's still, it has been from, from issue one, it's still one of the best books of the 52. Mm. Or st- one of the ones that is still consistently good. Mm. Yeah. I'll put it that way. Absolutely. No. Um, so now that you're, you read issue eight, obviously, you're in issue and nine. Seven. And seven. And seven. Yeah. So how do you like this Supergirl? How do you like the writing of the Supergirl? I like this a lot. Now, mm. Michael Green wrote all of them? Yes, he wrote all point? of them, yes. Okay. Has the trade come out yet? No, no this is one of these later trades. I will probably pick the trade up. Very nice. And what do you think? This art is obviously not George Perez anymore. This is back to the No, but it's, it's still very old school. Yeah. The panel layouts are nice, but you, you get a nice feel in the quiet scenes mm-hmm. of someone who can actually draw cars and buildings mm-hmm. and people and clothes and not just yeah. pretend. And it's, it's, very, it's very painterly. They are in a lot of ways. You can like kind yeah. of see the brush strokes right. in a lot of ways, but without being static. Yeah, no, no, not no. static. It's it's really beautiful art. Um, it's uh, it's Muhammad Muhammad. What's his uh, name? Azrar. Azrar. Yeah, it's a great. It's great art. Azrar. That sounds like a Kirby monster from the fifties. <laughs> it sounds like a place from Middle Earth. It's yeah. It could be, but his name is Journey not even to Azrar. It's it's a really really it's, great art, and um, it, it's been a really great book. So. Anything else you want to say about it? And we're going to no, talk about that, kind of your other book of the week. That's about it. And they are both sort of related because my other book is X-Factor 236 and Reaching Backwards into 235. And coming up after the break, we'll be speaking about that with Peter David, who wrote that and Supergirl years back and the Hulk and on and on and on. Yeah. So we shall come right back with Peter David. discussing sort of my book of the week and we're going to do that because we have the writer of x factor peter david writer of stuff uh 12 years of the hulk and aquaman and supergirl which i just talked about as well and also the world's leading foremost expert on guava paste just for fun um peter thank you for coming down for us tonight here really appreciate it glad to be here ben (laughs) um Just to fill our listeners in, you have a a rather interesting origin story, so to speak, as a comic book writer. I do. Sure you do. That's really news to me. What did you have in mind? Oh, you st- starting in the sales department and oh, moving okay. upwards I thought through you the ranks, like, so to speak. I thought you radioactive meant, spider or no, something. No, actually, <laughs> I thought you meant that time when I was in the presence of a radioactive computer that blew up <laughs> and just inherited its word processing program. Um yeah, so to speak. Um, I My career track at the time was in the uh, direct sales department at Marvel Comics. And what happened was that while working there, every so often I would submit ideas or concepts to various editors at Marvel because I also had a background in writing. My degree was a bachelor's degree in journalism. I originally intended to go into newspapers, but it just didn't work Mm -hmm. out for me. And what eventually happened was that an editor named Jim Owsley at the time, and I say at the time because he now goes under a different name, 
Hmm. No, seriously, he now oh. goes under the name of Christopher Priest. Uh, I assume oh. it's not because he's trying to disappear because he hired me. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, he uh, brought me on because he liked some of the ideas I had for Spider-Man. So he brought me on to write uh, Peter Parker, The Spectacular Spider-Man, and which I did for about a year and a half until uh, I departed that book, mainly because they fired me off it. Um, and I figured that was kind of that for writing at Marvel, but then some months later, Bob Harris walked into my office in the direct sales department and said, look, we're looking for someone to write The Incredible Hulk. And I said, well, you want me to write it? And Bob mm-hmm. said, well, honestly, nobody else wants to. <laughs> and so that's how I wound up writing The Incredible Hulk, and I figured that it would last six months or something like that. And, you know, 12 years later, uh, they fired me off the book. But at least, you know, so there was a certain consistency to that, but at least I was around longer for that. Mm-hmm. And while I was writing Hulk... Other opportunities presented themselves, and I realized that I could uh, become a full-time writer, make make a full-time endeavor of it, and that is essentially what I did. That's a great story. How many people it follow really that is? arc? Yeah, to, I, I, I think that's spectacular. I thought War and Peace is <laughs> nah, a really great story. For a comic book person, that's the arc we all would like to have, as a fan to come at this and then make a living from it. It, it is it is really trippy. I mean, I really can't believe sometimes that my work day consists of a commute of 30 seconds as I go down <laughs> to my office, and then I sit there and make up stuff for four or five hours, and then people pay me for this. Um, and that's, that's really you know, kind of amazing to me, and I am tremendously grateful to all the people who uh, lost their jobs in being able to put me into that position. <laughs> But it, it shows in your work. There's a love for it that sometimes in some other writers we don't see. It seems as if they hate superheroes. And you're really still, it seems like you're in love with the concept. I think superheroes have a lot to offer. I think that the, the characters and the situations enable us to comment on things that happen in the world of mere mortals. Um, I, I wouldn't... I, I don't have a little window into the minds of other writers. I don't know that they hate superheroes. If they hate the characters as they're writing them, I personally think that would be kind of sad. Um, uh, My understanding is that some 80% of people in the country are doing jobs that they don't particularly like or even actively hate. So... It would sadden me if there are writers among those numbers who are unhappy with what they're doing simply because they're writing superheroes. Mm-hmm. That, that would be you know, kind of depressing to me. Yeah, no, I agree. It seems as if there's a, it's a stepping stone mentality for some. Move on to movies or, or something else. Well, I don't think there's anything wrong with uh, writers wanting to move on to other things and do other things. Mm-hmm. I think that that's sort of the responsibility of a writer. I mean, you have to keep trying new and different things. I mean, mm-hmm. to, to paraphrase Woody Allen, you know, a, a writer's career is kind of like a shark. You have to keep <laughs> moving or you're dead. And I don't yeah. think anybody wants to have a dead shark no. on their hands. 
There you go. Well, speaking of a very live shark and, and a very poor segue. That's, an, and gonna, yeah. that's, that's a rather tortured segue. <laughs> yes, well, we're actually going to talk about sharks. Okay. Um, <laughs> it's it, Shark Week, kid. It's Shark Week on the 430 movie. Dun, 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 um, dun, dun, the book dun, you're doing dun, now, dun, X Factor, dun, 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 which is oh. just dun, 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 amazing. Oh, thank you. Um, no, Spider-Man is amazing. Yes, this is, there are no <laughs> adjectives get, for X Factor. We'll have to find true. one. That's true. That's true. Um, the indescribable well, X Factor. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to use a word that I think you may bristle at, but I hope not. Um, as usual, I find the work Hitchcockian. I don't know if I could really bristle at Hitchcockian. It, um, I mean, I don't know if you mean that because of my profile, I kind of match Hitchcock. No, no, not at all. <laughs> it's, it's the mixture of lightness and dark that the human moments that that shine through that are really important because you need to tell the character stories yeah and they're there do you find it hard to keep that balance as we as you move through a story arc to find a no not really it kind of flows naturally i mean you're right to say that it is hitchcockian because i was very much influenced by an interview that hitchcock did years ago on television in which he talked about the notion of alternating humor and suspense mm-hmm. to keep the audience on its toes, to use humor to gain empathy or sympathy for the characters very quickly so that if something dire then happens to them, the audience has become invested in them. Um, and, and I think that that's tremendously valid. I mean, he held up as an example of switching on and off, he he described a scene where you've got a young couple inside a room, and it's a darkened room, and there's a door, and they're looking in terror at the door, and just by the setup, you know that something fearful is on the Mm -hmm. other side of the door. And the the door slowly... And they're petrified, and through the door comes a kitty cat. And the couple visibly sighs in relief because they thought that something terrible was on the other side of the door. And the audience sighs in relief because, oh, good, the couple's going to be okay. And then all of a sudden, you realize that the thing that they are hiding from or the thing that they were terrified of is actually already in the room. So what Hitchcock said was that the best kind of laughter is the laughter that sticks in the throat of the person who's laughing. And that's something that I've really tried to keep in mind with my own writing. Uh, and it's definitely here, because there, there's a... Oh, I'll have to look through my own notes here, but there, there are pages here where you have... Where they're watching the video. I, I, I want to be spoilerific oh, here, okay. just in case. And they're appalled. Yeah. But Guido manages to crack wise. So, you know, yes, the best humor comes from character rather than situational. You know, mm-hmm. you, you, I mean, you do have the situations, but you, the, the humor comes from how the characters react to it. And, you know, the thing was, I didn't know at the time that I was writing it that that's what Guido was going to say mm-hmm. or how he was going to react until I actually wrote it. Um, and, and that is really part of what I generally tend to do, to have, to put characters into certain situations and see how they react. And oftentimes it's as surprising to me as it is to the reader, and I think that's good because if it's surprising to me, then it would have to be, by definition, surprising yes. to the reader. I want the readers to have a sense that things are moving forward. Um, you don't want to remain static. At the same time, it's always a very delicate balance because on the one hand, 
fans want things to remain the same. At the same time, you can't remain the same because then you're going to lose the fans. So you always have to be thinking about how can you shake things up? How can you make changes? And then fans complain because things change, which (laughs) is understandable because nobody likes change. But on the other hand, nobody likes stagnation. So you have to walk a very fine line in, in what you're doing. And you can't have just the illusion of change that an issue later, it's one of those old DC imaginary stories that... Well, no, of... that's not what illusion of change is. Yeah. I mean, illusion of change was something very specific. It's something that Stan was talking, was, would always talk mm-hmm. about. The, the notion that you could have things change, you could have things moving forward, uh, by the same token, they're not. I mean, for example, characters will come, characters will go, there will be upsets, there will be reverses. But the fundamental concept of X-Factor, namely that they are a mutant superhero detective team, that hasn't changed, and that's not going to change. So it may feel like things are changing, but the fundamental core aspects of the book do not. Um, and that's and that's the kind of, you know, okay. so, when, so when Stan would be talking about the illusion of change, he'd be talking about, you know, Peter Parker. Oh, my God, things changing. He's He's graduating high school he's going to college oh you know this that and the other thing i know there's this new girl and there's this new guy you know there's harry and there's gwen and all that kind of thing so things are changing well no in the meantime he's still constantly struggling for money he's having trouble at school he's having trouble with friends he's having trouble with aunt may i mean all the fundamental precepts of spider-man are still there it feels like things are changing, right. but they're really not. Yeah, he's always on model. He's always going to be moving in that same direction yeah. he was. You mentioned before about being surprised at what your characters are saying and kind of letting the characters come through you in a, in a natural way um, and you know, speaking in a certain voice and stuff. And I'm a big Stephen King fan, and you've been obviously writing the Dark Tower adaptations yes. for a long time mm-hmm. now. And um, as a Stephen King fan, uh, reading those books, I'm always astounded that even though it's not written by him, it's definitely sounds like it's in his voice. Well, thank you. And, you know, a lot of things you said about how you write characters are things that he says about how he writes characters as well. And I was just wondering, how do you go about attacking something like that that's not originally yours, and how do you kind of go at it in the Dark Tower adaptations? Oh, and in, the, in the case, specifically, the, in case the Dark, of Dark Tower. Dark Tower, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, first off, I should emphasize that the plotting mm-hmm. of the book, excuse me, <clears throat> Now, the plotting of the book is done by Robin Firth, Mm -hmm. who probably at this point knows more about Midworld than (laughs) Stephen King does, and I I think he might actually agree with that. Um, In the case of Dark Tower, um, I I approached it from a very specific way, which was that I knew that we were going to be doing a variety of artists who would have different skill sets. Some would be stronger with with character drawing. Some would be stronger with... with, um, uh, visual storytelling, you know, the, everybody has things they can do and can't do. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to come up with some sort of consistent voice that I felt would make everything seem of a piece, mm-hmm. no matter who was drawing it. Mm-hmm. So what I conceived was the notion, and I also wanted to have a way to work in some of Steve's prose. So what I wound up doing was creating an off-camera an off-panel narrator mm-hmm. character, someone who we never see, which mm-hmm. is fine. And because I wanted it to have that kind of 
on the on the trail feel. I wanted readers to be able to conjure up in their mind that you've got these these cowboys on the trail and it's evening and they're around a campfire and mm-hmm. eating beans and you know <laughs> farting probably <laughs> and um, and someone brings up. Uh, the character of Roland mm-hmm. Deschain and guy saying, Oh, I heard this and I heard this. And you've got this, you know, one guy who's like the classic Gabby Hayes old mm-hmm. trail hand. And mm-hmm. he's sitting there going, uh, Oh, oh, you think you know Roland Deschain? <laughs> no, no, you young pups, you don't know nothing. Sit down, sit down. Yeah, you over in the back, you sit down. I'll, I'll tell you about Roland Deschain. So, where to start? Where to start? Well, uh, I'll tell you, the man in black fled across the desert, and the gunslinger followed. Yeah, that yeah. was rolling the chain, and and off you go. Mm-hmm. And and part, you know. So number one, I wanted to have that consistent voice, mm-hmm. and number two, um, I knew that we were writing this for Stephen King fans, mm-hmm. yeah. and Stephen King fans are used to doorstops. Yeah, you know, they're <laughs> yeah. they're, they're used to reading a lot. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So the thing is that typically with comics, I'll scale back. I will have virtually no narrative. And my attitude is that if if it's ver- if it's visually there, then I feel no need to add to it. Mm-hmm. You know, if you have a really good shot of the desert, then I figure, oh, it's a really good shot of the desert. And on we go. Mm-hmm. But my concern was that that might be not satisfying for Stephen King fans. Right, yeah. They're not used to sitting down with Mm -hmm. work by Stephen King and being able to breeze through it in a few minutes. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to do everything I could to keep their eyes on the page for an extended Mm -hmm. period of time. So one of the things that I would do is I would take uh, King's descriptive prose and, and turn it into narration so if we've got a nice shot of the desert uh, then you know that's great we have a nice shot of the desert but then we've got the narrator saying yeah the heat came rolling off the desert like a fist in mm-hmm. his face this rolling to this and that yeah. you know i tried to give it a more literary narrative style mm-hmm. I mean, that was you know one of the big things i did and and uh and some fans initially resisted the notion because there had been no narrator character mm-hmm. but one of the things that I liked um, in in the series was in book four, King introduced you know natives of Midworld who spoke with this kind of patois. Yeah, you know that that really kind of old, mm-hmm. you know that you know oh uh, yeah 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 so so Roland knew there was something going on. Do you can it you know yeah, that yeah. that kind mm-hmm. of thing. So I decided to incorporate that to give it that unique style. Mm-hmm. And uh, and a lot so that's where a lot of that came from the tone the texture the style came from the fourth book from Wolves of the Kala interesting and uh, and that way the books as I said do feel of a piece you mm-hmm. feel consistent so you've got that on screen now na- you've got that off screen narrator that way if if I've got an artist who uh, isn't you know great at storytelling or who's rushing deadlines mm-hmm. or or something like that. I mean, um, then then it enables me to put lots of detail and tell the viewer what he's not seeing because the artist didn't actually yeah. try. Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> interesting, interesting. Because that's 
there's definitely a, a very literary feel to them. And in reading them, I never even really put it together that it was that narrator voice. It's almost invisible to me in a lot of ways, but mm-hmm. it definitely keeps that that tenor and voice of Stephen King in a way that, as a diehard Dark Tower fan especially, yeah. was really welcoming when I when I began to read it. So. Oh yeah, I mean King. Even I mean there there are points in the narration where occasionally the the the, the prose style changes, and out of absolutely nowhere, suddenly the narrator starts addressing the reader in first person, mm-hmm. um, which is which is something that used to happen in literature all the time. Mm-hmm. I mean all the time, uh, the Three Musketeers, Peter Pan. Lots of times the the narrator will talk, will just break through and just talk directly to the uh, reader. It's something that pretty much almost never happens anymore. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Very interesting. Um, and, and, and another note, another medium, I guess, um, uh, you've written a couple of video games as yes, well. Yes, I have. Uh, Spider-Man Edge of Time, yep. and you also worked on Shadow Complex as well, right? Yes. Um, I want to talk a little about uh, Edge of Time, which is a game I... Um, actually reviewed for the site when it came out and okay. I uh, I criticized the gameplay but I actually really liked the story and I wanted to, I, but I wanted to know I don't even talk about that I want to talk about what it's like to write a video game like w- what is the process how is it different than writing a comic how is it different than writing a novel like what it, what is because I think a lot of people don't realize well I think it probably varies from game to game mm-hmm. all I can tell you is that in in my particular instance um, I was brought up to Canada and locked in a room with, uh, with, the, with the guys, mm-hmm. um, with, with the guys who were actually producing the game. Right. And we spent a week hammering out what the game was going to be. Mm-hmm. And part of the trick was that there were, were certain parameters already in play mm-hmm. because of what they were going to be capable of doing within their time frame, within their budget. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's no different than producing a movie. Right. You, know, you have a time frame and you have a budget. Mm-hmm. Um, if you have endless time and endless budget, you can do more than if you have limited time and limited budget. Right. In this particular instance, um, they had a, a relatively short amount of time and the budget was such that the enti- it had been decided early on that the entire game was going to take place inside of a building mm-hmm. and there would be modern day, there would be the modern day version of the building and there would be the futuristic version of the building um, all of this was already in place so mm-hmm. the storyline that we developed was done with keeping in mind what those parameters were and um, and, and that and that and that made a lot of fans cranky because they like Games where you've got here's New York City, go wherever you want, right? Um, and you know it's it's not quite something that I understand because I was I remember when video games were you know pong, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know I want limited freedom. Oh yeah, I sat there with a little dial going, yeah. You know, I mean to me it's ridiculous. It's like complaining. Go, you know the problem with Pac Man? It's always in a damn maze. <laughs> What's with that? Why isn't it ever going through like Grand Central Station? <laughs> it's yeah, it's amazing. It's what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, in this case, we made the best uh, game that we could mm-hmm. and the best story that we could based upon what you know what was handed to us. Right? Uh, would we like to have unlimited time and unlimited budget? Heck yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. Who wouldn't? Yeah. But uh, you know, you do what you do, and for what we had available to us, I think that we made 
the best game that we possibly could have, and, and I'm extremely proud. But yeah, I mean, that's really what we were going for. Once we knew that we were going to be doing something that was you know, essentially confined to a building mm-hmm. like Die Hard, mm-hmm. then what we were going for was all the things that made Die Hard good, which was something very heavily character-driven, mm-hmm. uh, major, major character arcs for mm-hmm. the two characters, having Spider-Man 2099 not talking anything like Spider-Man of the modern day because mm-hmm. they're two totally different guys. Right. You know, and how, you know, to me, the story wasn't about swinging around a vast array of buildings across the city. My feeling was that the story was purely about these two guys. Mm-hmm. The fact that it was claustrophobic, to my mind, even though, you know, granted, you know, it was dictated by a variety of, of non-game mm-hmm. issues, I thought it was actually a plus because Mm. what it really meant, what it really was, was just a physical manifestation of the theme, which is that these two guys are locked into each other. They are confined. Their relationship is as claustrophobic Mm -hmm. as the surroundings in which they are, Mm -hmm. which is, you know, one of the reasons why, you know, they're constantly arguing with each other because when you've got people in a really closed in area under pressure, they start fighting with each mm. other. And that's, you know, and that's where that came from. I mean, my, my attitude was quite simply, it was the Spider-Man equivalent of Die Hard. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, I'll say like, I, I enjoyed the character moments and I liked the dialogue and I liked the, 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 the story that was happening. Mm-hmm. It was just, in games, it's almost, it's almost tough because it's almost two separate entities, right? It's almost... I was enjoying the story, but every time I had to kind of sit down and do the moment-to-moment interaction with the game, it didn't really live up to... Even though I couldn't swing around, I didn't feel like Spider-Man. You yeah. know, And I think that was my main issue with it. It wasn't the idea of it being in a building. It wasn't the idea of um, this kind of cluster. Really feeling. I would have loved if I had felt that a little bit more. And for me, it just felt a little bit short in the kind of, when I do this, this happens kind of tactile feeling, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, that being said... Tactile feeling, you mean like feeling it? Yeah, like when you're... Like yeah, when physically you're, feeling Physically feeling it. When you're physically hitting those buttons and the actions that are occurring when you're hitting those buttons, you know, some, in great games, like in, a, in the, um, the Batman uh, video games that, that have come out recently, Arkham City, Arkham Asylum, um, you get a real feeling of being Batman. Even, if, even when you're not swinging around, when you're just fighting, you have a feeling of being Batman. Mm-hmm. Um, also have a great story, but when you're not dealing with that story, you're having a great time. My problem with Edge of Time was just when I was going in the combat, I wasn't having a great time, you yeah. know? Um, Based on what? Uh, the, the way that the controls worked? Yeah, the way the controls worked. It just, you know... The, gameplay itself? Gameplay itself. Yeah. The, the way enemies would come at you. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it felt, sometimes it felt a little random. Sometimes it felt like I was just clearing out the same enemies every time. And again, budget and time go into that absolutely. Yeah. And as someone who plays a lot of video games and is very in, kind of entrenched in that world, I, under, I understand that absolutely. Um, but in the end, the end user experience is mm-hmm. kind of what all I have to go on, right. you know, in a lot of ways. And so while I felt that game fell short, what I did feel like it did was, in gameplay, I mean, what I did think it did is it did deliver a really good Spider-Man story. And I think... Um, Spider-Man 29 is a character that you created, correct? Yes. Um, very interesting because that character I'd only really been familiar with as in like, in animated form, and so to get kind of a good kind of eight hours kind of with that character um, was really was really fun. And mm-hmm. and he was actually voiced by the guy who voiced Spider-Man in the old uh, yeah. in the 90s animated show, mm-hmm. which gave me a kind of familiarity with him right away. Um, but I really liked the idea of the story and the twists at the end. I liked 
who kind of the villain was in the story and um, good Spider-Man experience story-wise, just for me as a gameplay perspective, mm-hmm. just didn't quite hit that level that I was looking for. Well, you know, in terms of actual gameplay, that's pretty much out of my department. Absolutely, yeah. yes. Uh, Absolutely. Um, <clears throat> uh, you know, the, the best that I could do was just, you know, the best that we could do mm-hmm. in terms of the entire Beanox team was to try and make it as engaging a story as mm-hmm. possible. Um, in terms of repetitiveness, I don't know. I mean, right. there seems to me in most video games a tremendous amount of repetitiveness. So, I mean, you know, I, I totally hear what you're saying, right. but to me, what you to me what you're really saying is this game, as far as you was con- as far as you were concerned, didn't do enough to disguise the fact that video games are insanely repetitive. That's a that's a very good <laughs> that's pretty much yeah. it. Yeah. So yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, we weren't able to throw enough BS at you to distract from that. Right. We'll try better next time. <laughs> but it's also it's also fascinating for me to talk to somebody who worked on the inside like that because I've never got a chance to do that in the in the video game space. So I, I appreciate you even just uh, talking to us about it. Right no there. problem. Um, one more thing, Bob, and I'm going to send it back sure. to you. Okay, sure. Um, one of my favorite things right now actually is the Young Justice cartoon on it's Cartoon great, Network. Yeah, great series. Just fantastic. And you uh, wrote two episodes in, in last season. Well, no, no, two episodes last season, mm-hmm. uh, two episodes for this season. Okay. Um, my first episode for this season is coming up June, uh, it's either first or second, which, okay. whichever one is a Saturday. Right. <laughs> um, and it's called Bloodlines, okay. and uh, I'm, I'm really tremendously excited about it. Um, so I wanted to, you're, you're, not, you're not a staff writer on the show, obviously, right? You're not, they, they have, do they have a writer's room and stuff there? Like, yes. Uh, okay. Yeah, ba- basically what would happen is that, um, they would break, and that, that's what's called, which is, mm-hmm. which is short for breaking down the plot lines for a group of episodes. So they would say, okay, we're going to be breaking down episodes 201 to, two, to 206. Um, and what happens is all of us come together. I mean, everybody else just hops in a car and drive. I get on a plane. Mm-hmm. I, originally, they said that they would just have they would have me call in and I would be on a voice box. And I said, no, 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 no. I, that's, I have to be in the room. I can't be mm-hmm. any kind of real contribution talking over a little box. So, you know, basically I paid for it out of my own pocket, but it was worth it because it was a paying gig. So mm-hmm. it was a cost mm-hmm. of doing business. You know, and I would fly out there and we'd all gather in Greg Weissman's office and we would go over that particular group of episodes. Uh, and Greg and Brandon Vietti had already come up with basic plot outlines. I mean, yes, it says, you know, it says written by Peter David, which is great, but it could just as easily say written by Peter David story or plot by, by Greg Weissman and Brandon Vietti or some combination of that mm-hmm. because they would come up with the very basics of what the story was going to be like. And what we do in the writer's room is we sit down, we go over it, and we, and we break the story, and we try and find where the... Um, where the deficiencies in the plot are, because when you have a room full of writers, that's that's going to come up almost immediately. Because uh, you know there there are three basic things that are hardwired into humanity. Uh, the first the first is uh, self preservation. The second is copulation. And the third is rewriting other people's stuff. <laughs> um, so when you've got a room full of writers and there's somebody's stuff, it, it, I want to rewrite it. No, I don't want to rewrite it. So we're all tripping it over each other. Um, but, you know, it, you've got a bunch of writers getting together and saying, well, how about this and how about that? And, you know, and things get, get tossed out and things will be come up with and suggestions are going to be tossed around. 
and um, and each plot then gets broken down. And then all the writers uh, scurry, much like cockroaches when you flip on a light, to our respective hovels, where we then write the plot in detail, you know, act by act, and see, more importantly, scene by scene, mm-hmm. breaking down the scene into incredible detail, and... Um, and then that gets sent off to uh, Greg and Brandon, and once and gets signed off on by everybody. Then you write the script, and then the script gets circulated and and uh, and signed off on by everybody. And that's basically how it gets out there. Mm-hmm. Um, how was your experience writing the episodes you've written so far? Oh, terrific! I mean, it, it was it was great working with the crew. Um, it's it was a very open set so to speak. Uh, I was out there for the recording of several of my episodes, which oh, cool. was a you know, terrific yeah. lot of fun. Yeah. And uh, it was great. I mean, I've been a big admirer of Greg's work for years. I mean, anyone... I mean, probably it's best-known work... Uh, well, pe- people know him for the, for the recent... For, for not the, the Spider-Man cartoon before Ultimate Spider-Man, which right. was terrifically done. Mm-hmm. And probably his seminal work uh, is Gargoyles, mm-hmm. right. which, which to me remains one of the high points of the history of a Disney television animation. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it, was, it was just terrific working with Greg. And this is my first experience with Brandon. And Brandon was likewise, he was a great counterpoint to Greg. And everybody in the staff was terrific. I mean, I just, I just had a lot of fun. Awesome. Yeah, I mean, like I said, it's one I'm I'm loving the show right yeah. now, and it, even the, the second season has been dynamite. The, the decision yeah. they made to to kind of uh, skip ahead the timeline five years, five yeah. years and bring in all these new characters it's pretty bold. Yeah. yeah, it's been really kind of energizing too. Yeah. Um. So I'm really excited. And you said um, June first or second is the next episode. Yeah. Whichever, like I said, whichever one is Saturday. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah <laughs> absolutely. Um. So Bob, send it back uh, to you. On this sort of uh, scripting front. With Marvel's movies doing, you know, such great guns at the box office, and you're yes, I think I think the commonly used term is record breaking <laughs> in every sense of that. Yeah. Um, any chance of you or any thought of you doing one of these screenplays? I, mean, I actually have I have signed a contract. Oh, tragically, Marvel. News. No, tragically, Marvel has not. So no. I, <laughs> I just sit there and write little contracts in my office and sign them, and then dream about it. Um, <laughs> It just seems um, a natural I, marriage, though. I would love to. I mean, you know, I haven't been asked. Um, and I don't say that in a pouting way. That's just flat out. I haven't been asked. Mm-hmm. If they did, you know, hell yeah, sure. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, go ahead. I was going to yeah. say, just on that front, kind of related, um, obviously Joss Whedon wrote, wrote and directed Avengers. Um, I've heard tell. Yeah. Yes, yes. Uh, and you did some work on an angel graphic novel, correct? Fallen Angel? No, that's, that's sorry. That, that's your work. Yeah. But you did work on like a, a, a Spike yes. miniseries? Um, sorry. That's yeah, I did, I, did, I did some work with Spike. I did a Spike graphic novel one shot. Mm-hmm. And I did a five-issue Spike limited series, uh, Spike versus Dracula. Very nice. Um, <laughs> so does, and we also had the character of Illyria. Oh, show up for a four issue Fallen Angel limited series. Really? Oh, that's awesome. It was actually the first use of a Joss Whedon character outside of the Whedonverse. Wow, I I didn't know that. I'm a crazy Whedon head, so that's. Yeah, it was a very complicated process. Um, I I went up to Joss Joss at uh, the San Diego Comic Con and said, I'd like to have Illyria guest star in Fallen Angel. And Joss said, okay. It was, was brutal. Hard. Yeah, it was really brutal. tough. Yeah. Sounds really tough. Sounds like a real bastard. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, in writing the Spike miniseries and the one shot, did do you have interaction with Joss during that 
time? Does he have any oversight over what happens in those books? Or? Uh, the, the scripts go to uh, Mutant Enemy for them to okay. sign off on. Whether Joss uh, reads it himself, I have the faintest idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, in terms of practicality, I'd be astounded if he right. did. I mean, yeah. He's got like a million and one things to worry about, and I, mm-hmm. I have trouble believing that he would feel the need to sit there and read my Fallen Angel scripts. Right. But, you know. Yeah. You know, he might have. I, I, yeah. I, I, I tend to think it more likely that there are people at Mutant Enemy mm-hmm. who read it, and if they have any particular issues with it, they touch base with Joss. Right. That's about it. No, I didn't get any you know notes from, from Joss himself. Did you have fun writing those characters? Spike? No, I hated every moment. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, sure. Yeah. I mean, Spike versus Dracula was entirely my idea. Awesome. I mean, you know, I mean, not my idea in terms of I said, oh, what if Spike and Dracula had a thing? Right. I loved Spike's comment in the Dracula episode mm-hmm. that he and Spike, that he and Dracula were old rivals. And I'm sitting oh. going, how the hell did that happen? <laughs> so I, I said it would be a lot of fun to do a five-issue series. And the, the thing that was great about it was it was set in five different time periods. Oh, that's great. So that you could bring in five different artists and have them all working on it simultaneously. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. That's great. I got to check that out. It was, oh, it was a lot of, it was collected as a trade paperback. Okay. It, it was a lot of fun. Awesome. Um, all right, Bob, sorry. Oh, no, no, please. I could end uh, you again. No, no, On the Fallen Angel front, any chance of us visiting Betonois? Yes. Oh. Yeah. Um, uh, the next series that we do uh, will be called the, uh, On the Road to Gehenna. I'm not oh. sure yet when it's coming out, but that'll be the okay. next series. Uh, any thought of ever getting that into another medium? It would be really nice if you want to option it and make a okay, yeah. of it. I'm, I'm really okay with it. I mean, the problem with trying to do it as a movie is that um, is that there's this mindset in Hollywood that's really it has nothing to do with commercialism and has everything to do with, as, as far as I'm concerned, misogyny. The notion that a female protagonist, a female superhero, a female action character, mm-hmm. but particularly superhero cannot carry a film. Hmm. And they always yeah. say, oh, well, Electra tanked and, um, and, uh, what, and what, Electra tanked and uh, Catwoman didn't yeah. do well. So therefore, and it's like, no, those were lousy movies. Well, exactly. I mean, they, do, they didn't point at Judge Dredd and say, well, obviously male superheroes don't work mm-hmm. because that movie tanked. I right. mean, you know, it's... You know, if a, if a detective movie tanks, they don't say, oh, well, clearly nobody wants to see detective movies. Yeah, or, I mean, but, or, but curiously enough, the line must be drawn at, at a movie featuring a female superhero action protagonist. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, TV seems, television seems to be a little bit more forgiving of that. But the problem was that we did, in fact, shop Fallen Angel uh, a year or so ago. And... The problem was that at the time that we were shopping it, Fox was developing a TV show about a fallen angel. Oh. It had nothing to do with ours. Mm-hmm. It was nothing like ours. The, f- the protagonist was a male, for that matter. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was this surface resemblance. And so the problem, and apparently in Hollywood, you can develop a dozen lawyer shows and a dozen doctor shows. Mm-hmm. And one show about a fallen well, an angel. <laughs> so everybody who who would have been the least bit interested said, "Oh no, Fox is doing a fallen angel, angel. thing." Um, and then later on, Fox then wound up passing on the pilot. But it <sighs> didn't matter because we already made our pitch, and they said, "Oh no, we're not going to do it." So we had all the rejections 
on the record, even mm. though it was, you know, a number of them were for things that had nothing, nothing to do with sure. you know, the actual thing. Mm. So Fox, it was really impressive, managed to get my show canceled um, <laughs> before, you know, before it ever went on the air. It's a shame that now that you say that it would be perfect as a weekly series. Yeah. Just that every week she could end up with mm. a new adventure and uh, something else to do as, as people yeah. come visit. And, mm. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, what are you going to do? Um, quick before, uh, because I think we're running out, running short on time here, but uh, um, or long on time, I guess yeah. would be the oh, be half an hour, Peter. You'll be out in half an hour, <laughs> no problem. Real quick, um, obviously, um, big news this past week with oh my god, with the <laughs> the, the astonishing X Men number fifty announcement, how we're going to have a a gay proposal, and then DC is saying that they're going to reintroduce a character as like their highlight um character, homosexual character. Uh, you won a GLAD award last year, um, and in 2009, yep. had two characters from your, from X Factor share a, a homosexual kiss. Hence the GLAD award. Yeah. Hence yeah. the GLAD award. Um, I was wondering how kind of the reception was at that time compared to now. Both companies are kind of doing a full tilt. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm noticing that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's like gay bashing, except in this case, they're bashing their heads together to do stuff that's gay. Right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's kind of like, did you ever see the producers? Yes. Remember when he sings "Make It Gay"? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what it suddenly seems like, <laughs> which I which I find you know tremendously hilarious, mm-hmm. considering it wasn't all that long ago that I had a gay character in Hulk who I could not state in the comic was gay because mm-hmm. it was specifically forbidden by the brain trusted Marvel at that time. Wow. Um, and then time changed, and I had the character state mm-hmm. out flat that he was gay. Mm-hmm. Um, curiously, did not make CNN. Go figure. Um, you weren't on the View. No. no. Um, I mean, you know, the funny thing was, I was actually toying with the notion of having Shatterstar and Richter get married. But mm-hmm. then I thought, you know what? I don't want to make that. That's what being gay is all about. Right. It's mm-hmm. just about mm-hmm. getting married. And I and I just wanted, you know, I mean, the fact that I had them, you know, come out alone. Mm-hmm to my mind, was enough right. to play sure. with. Um, had I known I could be on The View, I would have had him get married two years ago. You know? right. I would have had him alone. Yeah. Um, who knew? Right. But at any rate, I mean, I, th- I think it's great. Yeah. I mean, um, I, I, I think it's... To a certain degree, you start wondering about the commercial concerns. It's mm-hmm. like, you know, but on the other hand, you could just say that people are anxious to do stories that we weren't allowed to do before. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, I mean, considering we've been doing stories at Marvel Comics since the 1960s, earlier, if you start counting all the way back to uh, the the Golden Age, Mm -hmm. um, the concept of being able to find new and interesting things to explore, now that the lid is off, sure, I mean, it it makes total sense. When when, uh, I first had them come out in X Factor, I, honest to God didn't think it was that big a deal. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe because it comes from my own attitude of every time that I read in the newspapers, like, so-and-so announces that he's gay. I'm going, okay. Mm-hmm. Yes. And am, am I supposed <laughs> to care about yeah. this? Right, yeah, yeah. I mean, the only time I care about it is if it's someone who has very loudly been denouncing the gay lifestyle. Right. Yeah. Then I'm going, yeah. you freaking hypocrite. <laughs> you know, then it's right. of interest to me. Yeah. Uh, most of the other times it's not. So the fact that I, you know, the thing is that Shatterstar and Richter had been kind of nudge, nudge, wink, wink right. 
for 20 years. Mm -hmm. And when I got to the point where they were reunited, you know, and I'm sitting there and I'm writing the script, I honest to God didn't know they were going to kiss until it happened. Mm -hmm. But I went there and I said, you know, these are guys who've had this relationship and screw it. It's the, you know, it's the 21st century. Mm -hmm. Right, yeah. Why should I dance around it? Mm -hmm. They're happy to see each other. They've had a relationship. They kiss. Mm -hmm. The fact that, you know, the, the proof that I thought it wasn't a big deal is that if you look at the page, it's like like a six six or seven panel page, mm -hmm. and this is like panel six it's, of a yeah. seven panel page. Right. You know, it's like it's 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 a small panel. Mm -hmm. So that's how much priority I gave it. Right. It's not. I mean, there were some people who said, "Oh, I'm trying to do this for sensationalistic purposes." No. If I were doing that, I would have had the last panel be their lips moving toward each other. <laughs> and then you leave the reader going, will they or won't they? Oh, my God. You know, then you go to the next issue and it's a front page splash. And it's, oh, holy crap, kids. Yeah. I made a bigger deal about Layla and Madrox kissing for the first time. Yeah. That was on the freaking cover and it was a full page. You know? Right. Um, I didn't think it was that big a deal. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, it gets picked up by Perez Hilton, and then who I always kept confusing with Paris Hilton for some reason. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and it suddenly went, and all anybody was reproducing was that one panel. Yeah, right. Nobody was producing the entire page. Right. So you had the context for it. They yeah. took this one panel. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it made it seem like that's what not only the whole page was about, but what the whole issue was yeah, about. The, the whole one of the comics, yeah. And the next thing I know, I'm getting Google alerts, and I'm looking and seeing, you know, uh, uh, websites from Russia. Oh, wow. In which, you know, there's the picture of Shatterstar and Richter, and there's my name, which is legible, and the rest of the thing is in Cyrillic. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going, okay. I mean, they're talking about me in Russia. Okay. Right. Well, that's great. Except they're not really talking about me. They're mm -hmm. talking about Shatterstar and Richter, and that's fine. Mm -hmm. What they're talking about is what it means to people to have these two characters, mm -hmm. um, you know, kiss. Mm -hmm. And it got, a, it got a publicity bump, and that was great. Mm -hmm. And then it started to die down. And then Rob Liefeld ch you know, <laughs> chimed in. And the thing is that Rob's the creator of the character, and he absolutely has every right to say his feelings about it, 100%. Um, unfortunately, he did so in a manner that set off a second firestorm <laughs> of, of commenting about it. And, I, you know, really, I felt kind of bad about it. I mean, you know... Rob feels the way he feels, and, you know, okay. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and people came to me. What do you think of this? It's like, okay, well, Rob created the character 20 years ago, and things have happened in the intervening time, none of which I wrote. Mm -hmm. And all I did was look about, you know, what happened in the previous 20 years yeah. and say this seems to be the logical continuation of that. Mm -hmm. It's something I've done with countless numbers of characters mm -hmm. and this was no different right to my mind it was mm -hmm. just no different and i just really didn't think it was that big a deal right turned out to be a bit of a deal yeah yeah <laughs> turns out turns out well you know they give you awards for that stuff apparently who knew, uh, who knew? yeah <laughs> apparently they do um well i think we've kept you here long enough no, no. peter yes we've had a gay old time so, yes, yes. Uh, totally. Peter, is there something you're working on right now? We should staying do, we, awake. Staying awake. Okay, <laughs> uh, just a sort of 
flog something really quickly. Yeah. Well, you know, X Factor, uh, Stephen King's Dark Tower, we've hit those already. Okay. Um, Any new novels uh, well, coming? There's, I was about to say, there's a, a group effort that is myself and uh, several other writers that uh, we call Crazy Eight Press. And uh, it's not really a publishing house mm-hmm. per se, uh, or even at all. Uh, <laughs> what it is, is the group of us putting out books and uh, ourselves um, via Amazon and Barnes and Noble, available for the Kindle or the Nook, and also there are paperback editions that you can order through Amazon and Barnes and Noble. Um, and we pool our respective social media to get a word out there. Uh, the, the books that I've put out through Crazy Eight Press are the first two books of the Hidden Earth uh, Chronicles, and also a book called The Camelot Papers, which is, to all intents and purposes, a tell-all political. Uh, behind-the-scenes book, except it's at the time of King Arthur's Camelot. Oh, beautiful. So it has that kind of, you know, it really goes to the notion that no matter how many centuries pass, things remain pretty much the same. Um, I mean, gee, you know, a presidency, a presidency that gets involved, that gets... Uh, sunk or involved or dragged down by a sex scandal. No, you know, no. that couldn't it's possibly that, happen It's that Camelot, now. huh? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, no, not that one, but uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah so, that one too. So those are those are all available now. Um, Camelot Papers and the Hidden mm-hmm. Earth Chronicles. Uh, like I said, both at uh, Amazon and uh, and uh, through Barnes & Noble. Okay. Um, uh, <laughs> I did the novelization of Battleship. Okay. Uh, yeah. And, and how, was, of, how did that work? Well, it worked yeah. great. And the, the best thing is, is that whereas the Avengers movie is absolutely destroying Battleship yep. in the movie theaters, mm-hmm. on the other hand, there's no Avengers novelization. No, perfect. So the b- Battleship is out there all by itself. <laughs> so you don't have to spend money buying an Avengers novelization. You can just get Buy Battleship. Battleship. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I there like that. That's, that's anyway, a good way I to look actually, at it. I had a lot of fun doing that novelization. I mean, the movie is essentially War of the Worlds meets Officer and a Gentleman. Uh, <laughs> because, you know, which, you know those, those two old tales that go together yeah. so well. And uh, I had a ball. I, I really I really had a ball writing it, and uh, and it, you know, it was a lot of fun, and I hope that that uh, plus I put in my usual um, I, my usual abundance of in jokes, like having characters refer to the Liam Neeson character as the Jedi Master. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah. I, I just I keep tossing you know all kinds of things in there. Well, your fans are probably reading these novelizations who wouldn't have bothered to yeah. pick up any kind of anybody else's battleship novelization I would like, so they're I, hoping for that like, i would kind of like to think that that's why they hired me for it yeah <laughs> certain um, amount of sales right off the bat sure. yeah and there's other st- and um i did three novellas for del rey books which they are putting out uh they're they're ebook they're e-novellas mm-hmm. that they're putting out tying into the to the uh video game fable oh so, um, and it focuses on three different characters and ties in with the new Fable game that's going to be coming oh, out. Oh, cool. Very nice. So, you know, that, that was a lot of fun. You and should have written Fifty Shades of Green. <laughs> there is a thought. <laughs> uh, the next book that, we'll, that I'll be having come out through Crazy 8 Press is a, is a, is a, a humorous take on vampires, which I think are, have, uh, are really dying to be you know, set up, yeah. so to speak. Um, involving a guy, basically, he's a young vampire hunter who uh, lives in a fa- who lives in a family and community of vampire hunters, and the problem is that he himself is a vampire, so he uh-huh. has to try and keep that under wraps because otherwise his mother will kill him. 
<laughs> and, That's an, and, great and, and, the, and the title of the book is Pulling Up Stakes. Oh. Yeah. Oh, I love that. <laughs> yeah, thanks. So that'll yeah. be coming out uh, via Crazy Aid Press within the next few months. Great. Uh, Peter, how can people get in touch with you electronically? Oh, if, funny you if should you'd like, If you'd like them to. Anyway. They can follow me on Twitter, uh, Peter David, uh, then like a little line and then pad. Um, or they can visit my website at www.peterdavid.net. Not PeterDavid.com, which is a Cloisonnet athletic pin manufacturer. <laughs> yeah, I've made that mistake initially. Have, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's really convenient. PeterDavid.com. What the hell is this? I don't um, need a Seattle Seahawks button anytime yeah, soon. Really. Yeah. And I'm also on Facebook. So, you know. And the nice thing is that my Twitter feed posts immediately to Facebook. Oh, perfect. It's, Peter, it's amazing. Yeah. Peter, again, thank you so much for coming. This was really special. We really, really appreciate it. And keep well, up the good work. Thank you. Special as in, you know. Short little yellow bus special. Yeah, no, no, good, the, oh, good, okay. the good special. Well, yeah. actually, there's like the, the daily se- shawarma special. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Yeah, so, off to shawarma. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Thanks again, Peter. Good night. You too. Bye-bye. All right, we are back. Um, thank you very much, Peter, for being here. That was a lengthy interview, but I think we covered some pretty good stuff. Just about everything, yeah. Yeah, just about everything. Um, we did mention briefly, we talked to him about his experience um, writing gay characters, but I wanted to kind of get our opinions real quick on this, uh, the DC announcement, which is in June, a character will be reintroduced mm. as a homosexual. And People are taking that to mean, well, Bob said it, you heard that it's going to be a, a man, definitely a male character. Didio said so. Okay. Yeah. And it's going to be a character not yet in the new 52. That is what people are thinking because they're saying reintroduce. Um, people were kind of speculating on Batman because of what Morrison said. Scott Snyder on Twitter today said, it's not Batman. He's like, <laughs> I'm writing Batman. It's not Batman. He's like, they said it's going to be a character that hasn't been in the new 52 yet, so it's not Bruce. So... I mean, that's kind of out of there. I, but I thought maybe real quick we could kind of venture guesses on who we thought possibly could be the character. Um, Steve, do you have any, any guesses? I don't have any guesses, but I do have a concern. Okay. Air your grievances, sir. My grievance is this. Um, only recently have I been encountering um, homosexual characters in comics. I've been reading a lot of stuff, and uh, I just finished reading uh, Avengers, The Children's Crusade. Okay. And come to find out that Wiccan and Hulkling uh, are together. Okay. And then something ha- I can't spoil it, but mm-hmm. um, there's a character in a in a book that we all absolutely love. Who in the latest issue you find out there's a little something something going on. Mm-hmm. And my thing is this: you have the Mar- um, I guess it's Marvel that's doing the the wedding and astonishing X Men. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so on. Okay. Now, I have absolutely no problems with them bringing the homosexuals into into more of the forefront Mm -hmm. i think personally that it's great i think that the culture needs that Mm -hmm. because i'm not going to get into a whole bunch of other hang-ups that people have but my concern is that are they doing it because that it's going to mean something that they're going to handle it the right way or is this just something to drum up more chatter because maybe the DC-52 didn't go as well as planned. Well, to be fair, the DC-52 went better, I think, than they planned it to go. Numbers-wise, but yeah. not according to the fans. But yeah, what, what, yeah. The, 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 the fans, if they don't like books, they don't buy them. 
these bo- these books have sales. They don't give a shit what people on the internet are saying about the books as long as they keep selling. However, I, I think see the answer to your question is a little bit of both. You know, I think from I the I think from the corporate end, it absolutely is. Let's run publicity. Let's get our names out there. But I think the probably the people who are going to be writing these stories, that's not going to be their reasoning for writing these stories. Well, I hope. I mean, people are already. Like Fox News, for example, yeah, they were covering well, today. They said it's going to be Superman, right? Just as to show you where Fox News is, mm-hmm. because they just want to stir up the pot so people will talk about him, like I am right now. Yeah, exactly. That would be the ballsy thing to do. Yeah, no, no pun intended. <laughs> no, it would, but like, <laughs> <laughs> I just hope that because it is such a touchy topic, still mm-hmm. that they do it right. And mm-hmm. that they do it with with grace, they do yeah. it with honor, and they don't make a joke out of mm-hmm. it. I don't want like they they come out and they say, are they just gonna be gay and they're gonna continue to do what they do, or are we gonna reintroduce this character that people have known? We don't know who it is yet. Yeah, but is it gonna be like a flamboyant, ridiculous version mm-hmm. of them mm-hmm. now that like okay, you know this character? Well, guess what? He's gay, and he just got back from Fire Island, and <laughs> yeah. here's a number one, and he's in, like, a rainbow shirt, mm-hmm. and he's, like, you know, gay, the American way, whatever the hell it is right, that they're yeah, going to do. It. I agree. Because, I I mean, me personally, like, I have a couple of gay friends, mm-hmm. and the, the one thing that they all, not all have in common, but a lot of them have in common is that they they complain that the reason that they're harped on is because they're gay. Mm-hmm. And, of course, I tell them, no, it's because you're an asshole. Right. But... <laughs> You know, I just, I don't want to see this be their opportunity to have another character in the comic industry, but for them to make such a big deal about it, Mm -hmm. to be all this, like, mystery Mm -hmm. behind it, that this person doesn't, they don't reveal this character, and it's going to be, like, a mockery of what it's supposed to be Mm -hmm. to be gay, Mm -hmm. because there are people that are gay that are very flamboyant Mm -hmm. and very over-the-top about it. And then there are people that are gay. They're just gay. Yeah. It's, it's just a preference. That is what, I mean, there's yeah. there's male and female. Mm-hmm. The odds that everyone in the world is going to like the opposite sex is is ridiculous. Right. So just accept it, mm-hmm. you know? And it, you can be a superhero and do what you got to do and just be you. If you like dudes or if mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a chick and you like girls, fine. Yeah. So long as you're saving innocence and you're you're yeah. defending the world, who gives a shit who well, you sleep with? I, I am fearful of that because I, it smacks of opportunism based on the lead time for creating comic books. The whole Marvel wedding thing, which is happening now, uh, had to be in the pipeline three or four months ago. Right. Mm-hmm. And North Star as a character has been gay since Byrne created him 25 years ago. Mm-hmm. This has been something that's an ongoing thing that's always... He and his sister were always the outsiders and he more so obviously this now is a uh, jump on the bandwagon the president said what he said let's go for this and they, they already have you know batwoman they have these things in place already and based on the way they handle the heterosexual sexual characters look, look what they did with legion and, and catwoman now will we have that flamboyant character that does nothing but just gets them on Fox News, mm-hmm. where they could make a statement, if it was Superman, mm-hmm. the alien character who can't have a relationship with human woman, if you really wanted to go there and say something, he's never, you know, the whole marrying Lois was sort of out there. If you could give that hero to everybody, that'd be pretty 
damn special. Right, but again, that's for the same reason that he wouldn't fall in love with Lois to make an alien. He's not a human. Mm-hmm. To make an alien character a homosexual, he's not even really a homosexual then, because he's not I, even. No, I, he's not I don't being, think, you know. And I don't think they should. Well, but like, I'm saying, if you wanted to really make a statement, that would be the statement to make. If um, we're gonna come now and say it's Jimmy Olsen or it's Wally but, West but or it's Jimmy Olsen's already a character in the New Fifty Two, mm-hmm. so it's it's not gonna be Jimmy Olsen. Ralph Dibney. Um, Stephanie, what do you think of all this? Um, you know, I had like a lot of thoughts on it, and then sort of as the information kind of unofficially trickled in, you know, oh, it's someone who hasn't been reintroduced. Oh, it's going to be a guy. My options kind of got narrowed down. Mm-hmm. My first instinct was to say, because I find that lesbians are obviously a lot more accepted in, mm-hmm. you know, pop culture. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I thought maybe they would go the Wonder Woman route. But then mm-hmm. we also kind of already have a lesbian. Like, we have Batwoman. Mm-hmm. Right. She's fucking awesome. Yes, she mm-hmm. is. And, like, I think it would be a little unfair to kind of be like, oh, we're just going to make all our female characters lesbians. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then, obviously, with the Grant Morrison thing, I was thinking maybe it would be Batman, but then Scott Snyder shot that down. Mm-hmm. Um, so it kind of – I don't know. They said that it was going to be a major character. An iconic character is what they yeah. said. And I, I don't know what iconic character isn't currently part of the DC-52 that's iconic enough to be like, oh, he's gay we now. Need, you know what we need? We need a list, and then we need a talking comics pool where everybody <laughs> gets to pick a name. Right. And then we we see who wins. I mean, like, the, like Cabin like, in the Woods. Yeah, we can do, all do, do, do we just really care though? Like, well, I'm, there is a character that's not in the DC right now who plays an iconic role, and he's kind of the character that a lot of people have been saying is Wally West. Who mm-hmm. is I've heard the, that the, as well. The second, the third Flash, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I've been hearing a lot about Wally West and Tim Drake. People are saying possibly but Tim Drake is already a character. T- Tim Drake is Red Robin mm-hmm. in the Teen Titans, so I don't think that's gonna, what that's going to be it. Um, if they're saying they're reintroducing a character, then it's not going to be anyone who's in the continuity at this point. Yeah. Um, Wally is the most iconic um, character, I think, not currently in the, the continuity. All the Green Lanterns are already there. You know, Superman's already there. Batman's already there. All the Robins are already there. Um, even Jason Todd's in the freaking continuity, for God's sake. So, um, I, I I can't imagine anybody else. What about Shazam? Sh- the, no. the, we, we were discussing this earlier. That gets into a creepy place. Billy Batson's like 13 years old. The kid who is actually Shazam. Oh yeah. Yeah, and he goes. And plus, oh, yeah. I said this before. Some mentioned this before. I said, then prepared for a lot of like. Off-color jokes when I'm going like Shazam, <laughs> you know. So I don't think that's going to be it. Stephanie, you were going to say something. Yeah. Um, did they say that it was specifically going to be like in the superhero realm of things? Because we have before Watchmen about to launch as well. That's they, true. They just said character. They didn't say hero. That's an iconic character. Um, but but they said it. But well, they were talking about it. It was somebody who's going to be in the continuity because they said they're like. Oh, okay. Premiere, like it was going to be a, like a, like they a were central be introduced to the timeline. Sexual character is, is is their sexual orientation. Is that just going to be a part of their character, or is that going to be the book? Well, hopefully, it's be part well, of their character. It's not gonna be, I yeah. would hope it wouldn't be yeah. the book. That's why would Wally be, would be a really good all right. choice. I just hope that DC is not going to be like now we have a gay comic. Yeah, you know, because that'd be pretty insulting. It'd be very insulting. Yeah. It'd be very insulting. Um. Sorry, Seth, let me cut you off. Were you gonna? You, you were saying something. Oh no, 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 no! I was just gonna say because it would be interesting to see if, like, maybe they were gonna kind of tie it into before Watchmen and make that like 
extra controversial. Right. So, Rorschach you know, but likes dudes. No, I, um, <laughs> that's why he was in prison. <laughs> he liked it there. And again, that's not main continuity either. So I, yeah, but I just thought. I wasn't yeah. sure what they'd said. I couldn't quite remember yeah. all the points they covered as <laughs> who it would be or wouldn't be. So there's still all of Earth too. Who knows? Yeah, it Does seems that count? like yeah, maybe. Well, we'll have to see what's going on with that. Um, but that's that Killer be, Croc. Yeah, Killer Croc. It, it can't be a villain. They can't make no. their premier homosexual character a, like a, a villain. The Joker. Yeah, we, we they, they they tried that for a bit, and that's why you have Harley Quinn. You no, he, he wore pearls in a couple of issues. It was really pretty ludicrous. Um, but uh, so that's a. I mean, I want to know what you guys think. Um, some of you've already chimed in at Talking Comics. Uh, anything longer? Info at Talking Comic Books. Talking Um, and also I know some people have sent a couple emails, and I want to cover them, but we're not cover them today because we're running very long. But no. um, yes, we are running very long. <laughs> But it's a very interesting topic, and I'd like to hear more about it. And it's very interesting to see how they cover it, because, yes, Steve, I'm also worried that they're going to treat it like they treat everything else, which is over the top and with little tact, you know? Right. Because that's the comic book way in, in, in general. Um, all right. So, but before that happens, there's comic books out on the shelves right now, mm. new ones. Let's no. talk about what came out this week. Um, we have Clive Barker's Hellraiser, number 14. Um, Eric, The Balance Lost, number 10. Um <laughs> Irredeemable number 37. That's from Boom, by the way. Uh, Dark Horse, we have... Dark Horse Presents number 12. We have... I believe that's an alien thing. I could be totally wrong. Oh, really? That makes sense with Prometheus a week away. It could be. Um, We have Guild Fox number one. It's a one-shot. We have... One and done. Mind MGNT number one. I'm going to be checking that out. Okay. Orchid number seven. Ragemore number three. Resident Alien, number one, and Star Wars, Darth Vader, and the Ghost Prison, number one, of five. Um, From DC Comics, we have All-Star Western, number nine, which is Night of the Owls. We have Aquaman, number nine. We have Batman Incorporated, number one, which is part of the new New 52. Sweet. It's a Grant Morrison book. Um, Batman, The Dark Knight, number nine, Night of the Owls. The (laughs) only reason I'm picking it up is because it has Tim Drake in it. That's the only reason I'm going to pick it up. Um, Fables, number 117. Dominique Laveau, Voodoo Child, number three. Flash, number nine. Fury of Firestorm, The Nuclear Men, number nine. Green Lantern, New Guardians, number nine. I, Vampire, number nine. Justice League Dark, number nine, which is Jeff Lemire's first issue. Hell yeah. Definitely be reviewing that. Um, We have Savage Hawkman, number nine, which is... It's um, Bob's favorite writer, Rob Liefeld, is the is taking over that book. Um, well, he'll have a lot of chest and he'll have pouches and guns, <laughs> and you can cut glass with his chin. It can't be worse than it was before, though, Bob. So, I <laughs> yes, it can. He just did Hawk and Dove, right? Yes. Okay. But, cross Hawkman and Hawk and Dove, and you'll have something. Yes, but that Savage can... Hawkman was in, in, uh, in unbearable uh, when Tony S. Daniel writing it. So, um, Superman number <laughs> nine, Teen Titans number nine, Unwritten number thirty-seven. And Voodoo, number nine. Um, from Dynamite, we have Green Hornet, number 25. Kevin Smith's The Bionic Man, number nine. Lord of the Jungle Annual, number one. We have Vampirella, number 17. Warlord of Mars, Deja Thoris, number 12. Dynamite never puts out anything that I'm going to buy. No. <laughs> um, IDW, we have Cobra, number 13. La, 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 la. We have Godzilla, <laughs> number one. <Blech>. Godzilla. <laughs> Godzilla. Unless it's Art Adams, I'm not interested. We have Magic the Gathering, yeah, nice, number four of four. Very nice, definitely. <laughs> Smoke and Mirrors, number three of five. 
Uh, Steve Jobs. Yeah. <laughs> we have Transformers, more than meets the eye, number yeah, five. We have True Blood, number one. Um, from Image, we have Chew, number 26. Elephant yeah. Men, number 39. We have Near Death, number eight. No Place Like Home, number four. Yay. Prophet, number 25. Rebel Blood, number three. Yeah. Thief of... Oh, sorry, no. Thief, thief that's a uh, second printing. Um, Witchblade, number 156. Youngblood, number 71. Wow, I don't even have to go to the store this week. <laughs> From Marvel, we have Amazing Spider-Man, number 686. Okay, Yay. that's a change. We have Astonishing X-Men, number 50, which we mentioned before. Mm, sweet. We have um, Captain America, number 12. Captain America and Hawkeye, number 631. We have that was not good last issue. Oh, really? New creative team. Gotcha. No. Deadpool, number 55. Dorothy and the Wizard of Oz, number 7. Mm. Fantastic Four, number 606. Hooray. Hulk, number 52. Hulk Smash Avengers, number 405. Journey into Mystery, number 638. Mm. Um, Marvel Zombies Destroy, number 2. Um, Mighty Thor, number 14. Secret Avengers, number 27. Ultimate Comics, X-Men, number 12. Yeah. And Wolverine and the X-Men, sorry, number nine, that's the second printing. There's so many second printings and premiere editions. Um, But also, the hardcover of Venom Circle 4 is coming out, and that was a really good Venom run. And that is it for this week in (laughs) comics. Um, So, that is it for Talking Comics as well. Um, Reach us on Twitter at Talking Comics. Email info at TalkingComicBooks.com. Articles, reviews, um, columns are up on TalkingComicBooks.com. Dot com. Steve just put up a little uh, Diablo. Diablo. Week. Um, uh, Brian did an Avengers 2 uh, like kind of casting ideas art column that was pretty cool. Um, Bob obviously has his Avengers stories up there. He has his Thanos stories up there. He wrote a pretty scathing review of Avengers versus X-Men number four up there. Yes. So nice. those are all up there as well. Um, and um, Stephanie put up an article this past weekend. We're looking for guests for our Women in Comics um, podcast. So if you guys know of anyone, please tell them to get in contact with us at the places I told you to get in contact with us at Talking Comics, <laughs> info um, We will be giving more information in the future and talking about this a lot. So that's it um, for Talking Comics for this week. For Steve, see ya. Bob, adios. And Stephanie, Ark. I have been Bobby. <laughs> Until next time on Talking Comics, to be continued. <laughs> <laughs>